good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I want to thank all of you that are with us, worshiping with us today online. Some of you have been with us for a long, long time, for years, actually, and others of you, maybe this is your first time, and we're so grateful that you've chosen to be with us and worship the Lord today with us. And for all of our campuses, welcome to the service, this part of the service, and uh, to this message today and our time in God's Word together. It was uh, Ernest Hemingway who was, I guess, one of the greatest writers of all time, but especially in the 20th century, maybe the best writer in the 20th century, wrote a story that was very interesting. It was about a dad and his son named Paco. Well, Paco had done something. I don't know, I don't remember now what he had done, but he had done something that had wounded the family. And instead of going to the family and asking for forgiveness and getting things right, he decided to run away. He was in his teenage years and he decided to run away. Well, his dad, when he realized that Paco had laughed and, and run away, he tried to hunt him down. He tried to go everywhere he thought Paco might be and to no avail. And finally, he came to a conclusion. I've only, I guess, got one other option. And he decided to put an ad in the paper. Now, for those who are younger, there used to be something called a newspaper. And they would actually take it to your house. And some people still get one, but much fewer people, most people get their news online, but they, they would get it by a paper and they would read all the paper and somehow, Paco's dad thought maybe Paco will read the newspaper, probably not, but maybe he will and he'll see the ad. So he, he bought an ad for Paco and the ad simply said this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. Well, he wondered. I mean, the, the dad wondered for the next few days, is he going to show up? Maybe not, but he was so excited when Tuesday finally arrived. And at noon, he showed up at the Hotel Montana and to his shock, there were 800 Pacos <laughs> who had arrived wanting to be forgiven by their Papa. You are never more like God than when you forgive someone who does not deserve it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Who is it in your life that you need to forgive? Who is it in your life that wounded you to the core? What did they say about you that hurt your feelings so deeply? What did they do to you? How did they misjudge you? Who did they gossip to? What terrible things have they said about you? They don't deserve to be forgiven. But never are you more like God when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. We're in a series, and this is the last message in the series, entitled Power Living. And in the first message in Power Living, it was, I talked about the idea of 
a, fo a focused life. You realize that most people do not live a focused life. Most people are focused on their, maybe their job, maybe school at first, and then their job, and then the family. But overall, they're not living a focused life in the areas in which God has said, here's why I put you on the earth in the first place. And we talked about what those were in the first message and, and how to live a focused life. And I even said in that first message, there are five key principles we're going to talk about. And as we do, if you will grab hold of these and you'll be serious about these, they will change the outcome of your life. They truly will. They will, they will for the good, change your trajectory. The second principle was uh, sexual purity. The third principle was a surrendered life. The fourth one was, was about a, a uh, uh, yielded life to God, obedience to God. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the whole issue of the power of pardoning, forgiving others. All the series was built around this one key verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of self-control. God did not intend your life to be filled with fear or stress or worry or depression or anger. He wanted and wants your life to be filled with power and love, a genuine love toward him and others and self-control. Now, we want to talk today. I want to talk to you today about the whole issue of forgiveness. So could we stop for a moment and go to God in prayer? Let's do that. Father, we come to you today. And the truth is, there are a whole lot of people that are listening to my voice right now who are so angry, who are so wounded, so bitter, and maybe even to the point of hatred because of how someone else treated them, what they said about them, how they judged them. God, I ask that you would get into the middle of us, individually and collectively, that this would be a moment that we would actually stop and think, God, this is true about me. What am I going to do about this moment? Oh, God, I pray that you would liberate, unchain the hearts of many people in this place and free us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. An unforgiving spirit will eventually turn into an unbearable weight in our lives. It, let me illustrate it. This bottle of water, it's 20 ounces. In other words, just a little over a pound. And I guarantee you, you'll have no problem carrying this bottle for five minutes. Anywhere you go. Even an hour. No problem. After an hour, for the next 10 hours, the next 12 hours, this gets heavier and heavier and heavier every hour. It's still just 20 ounces, but it is a nuisance at first, and then it is a, an unbarrier, unbearable 
barrier in your life because you can't get rid of it. I will tell you, by the time you go a few hours, you will drink all the water just to get rid of it or you will toss it in a trash can because you don't want to hold it anymore. And this is the same thing about bitterness in our life. At first, we love bitterness. Oh yeah, we love rehearsing what was said, what was done, and interpreting it only in our favor, obviously. And we love talking to ourselves or other people about how bad he is, how terrible she is. We just really enjoy talking about it again about our pain and how someone else hurt us. But what happens is that over time, it becomes an unbearable weight and wound in our heart that is self-inflicted. I read an article about two or three weeks ago that was about uh, emotionally induced illnesses they're real illnesses, but what causes the illnesses are emotions that we let get out of control. Maybe it's fear or it's worry or stress or it is anger or bitterness or even hatred. But we have let it get out of control in our life. And it begins to actually physically do something to us. Because what happens is, is that illnesses or emotions that get out of control actually stop the production of some chemical reactions in our body that keeps our body safe, that keeps our body well. It begins to shut those things down in our organs and it begins to affect us. So in the article, it talked about how many times, not all the time, but many times high blood pressure is actually induced by emotions out of control, uh, ulcers, head aches, insomnia. And in fact, the Bible, if you remember in the book of Proverbs, even says that negative emotions can damage our bones. Our bones is what create blood cells. It's what actually nurtures all of our body. But that can begin to shut down because of negative emotions, the chemical reactions that come from them. And all of a sudden, there are so many things that are going wrong with us physically, and what is actually wrong with us is emotionally. What's actually wrong with us are the emotions that we have allowed now to begin to break down our body. In the article, he even talked about emotional damage that it does and even mental damage consequences that happens as well. Because what one of the issues it said in the article, and, and I've heard, read this from other articles in the past, is that it, it begins to change us mentally and it begins to wound us internally. All of these things are a part of allowing a bitterness or whatever negative emotion to stay too long. It begins to break us down. And one of the areas in which it does it is in the area of spirituality. There are spiritual consequences to bitterness. So listen to what the Bible says about it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And it's not just he, it can be a she. 
For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother too. Remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. You can tell me until the cows come home that you love me, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not obeying what I'm teaching you. And one of the aspects that he teaches us is the idea of forgiveness. So who is it in your life that you are still so angry with, you are still embittered with, and maybe have grown to hate because of something that happened, something that was said, and though the Holy Spirit has been talking to you and convicting you, you've pushed him aside every single time. Listen to how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, now stop and get the context, what this actually is saying to us. We, we, we are saved. We come into a relationship with God not because of our performance, but because of the grace of God through faith. Uh, we don't become saved and on our way to heaven because we deserve it, because we have done the right things. Rather, we are saved by the grace of God, by giving our heart to Jesus Christ, by accepting Jesus as our personal Savior. That's how we come into relationship with God. But to be in fellowship with God is based upon the actions of our life. There are two aspects, and I want you to grab it. There's relationship, there is fellowship. Uh, you know that Kathy and I have two sons, and, and uh, they, when they were born, they're our sons forever. Doesn't matter what happens, they are our sons. I am their dad, they are my sons. And that is never, ever, ever going to change. Though the relationship is forever, the fellowship hasn't always been that great. What I mean by that is when they were growing up and they disobeyed and they went and did stuff they shouldn't do, there was a break in the fellowship. There was a discipline and there was a asking for forgiveness and there was now we're back on track. But the fellowship was based upon obedience. There was always the relationship. There were times in which the fellowship wasn't that good. And then they got it right. I got it right. Whoever got it right. And the fellowship was back. In the very same way is our situation with God. We give our heart to Christ and we are a child of God forever. And he will never disown us. He never throws us away. But the fellowship with God is a whole nother story. And there are times in which God is at arm's length with us because we are making wrong decisions, because we have walked away from him, we have turned our heart from him because one of the reasons is our broken relationships with other people. And that's what Jesus is referencing in this passage. You don't forgive other people. You don't get that relationship right. Neither will I forgive you. Now, he is talking about in relationship, he forgives us past, present, and future. But in fellowship, he said there is going to be a broken fellowship that you and I have until you get yourself together. 
That's what Jesus is talking about. This is why Job said, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. You're damaging your body physically. You are damaging your emotions. You are damaging mentally. You are damaging spiritually. You're only hurting yourself with this bitterness that you're hanging on to. Instead, what Jesus wants in our life is that we would emulate God in the forgiving of other people. That's the idea of the verse that I want us to look at this morning, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, see, this. He's, I'm wanting you to do what I've done, he's saying, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here is the idea, the worthiness of a person is never the determining factor of whether or not we forgive. The worthiness. I'm not forgiving him. He's not worthy of it. But the worthiness of our forgiveness toward others is not the basis of that. What is the basis of our forgiving others is that we have been forgiven of much more by God when we weren't worthy of it. So Peter asked Jesus one day, I'm sure the other disciples were there in earshot, and he asked Jesus the question in Matthew chapter 18. He said, how many times should I forgive someone who keeps wounding me, who keeps hurting me? Seven times? Now, he didn't just pull a number out of the air. This was the rabbinic teaching in the first century. We have so many of uh, uh, ancient writings that have been preserved, and some of those are ancient rabbinic teachings that they would learn in the synagogue, and in first century, that's what they were teaching. If someone offends you up to seven times, you've got to forgive them. But after the seventh time, uh, you don't have to worry about it. So all Peter is doing is, is saying what he had learned in the synagogue. And he asked Jesus, is this your opinion too? And Jesus said to him, oh no, it's not seven. It's 70 times seven. Now Jesus is, is speaking figuratively. He's not saying, okay, it's 490 times. He's taking the perfect number seven times the perfect number of seven times 10 for good measure. In other words, he is saying, there's never a time that you will ever get to with any other person in your life in which you no longer need to forgive that person. And then Jesus then gave an illustration. He said, there was a king in, in a great country and he was very wealthy king and he lent one of his servants. By the way, in that day, every person in the kingdom was a servant of the king. Everyone was a subject to the king. And he lent one of those servants, those subjects, 10,000 talents. Now look, 10,000 talents, I am told today, is $56 million. And I know that when he said that to this crowd of people that were listening to him, 10,000 talents, there was a laughter. That's crazy. Who would... Who would lend, who would give somebody $56 million? Nobody would do that. No king would do that. It was intended to be an exaggeration. And they all laughed. Are you kidding? 
Well, the day came in which this servant was to now give back the $56 million. It was a loan. And the day came that he was supposed to give it back. And he didn't have it. He didn't have anything. In fact, we find out later in the story. And he says to the king, I don't have the money. Would you give me till Friday? There was more laughter in the, in the group because he can't get $56 million by Friday. And the king said, no, I'm going to put you in prison and I'm going to have you work it off. And that would mean a life sentence. And the guy got out on his knees and he said, oh, I'm begging you, please. I got kids to raise. I got a family. They're depending on me. They'll starve without me. Please, please give me mercy. And a shock went through the whole crowd listening as Jesus said. And the king decided, yes, I will give you mercy. In fact, I'm going to forgive you of all $56 million. See the exaggerations going on. They're just, the crowd's stunned. $56 million. I'm going to wipe it off the slate. Oh, this guy was so, so happy, so excited. He could hardly believe what he had heard. He thanked the king. He left the room. He went out. He said, I got to celebrate, but I don't have any money. That is the kind of money manager he was. He'd been given $56 million. He didn't even have any money. He says, but I got to go out to eat somewhere and celebrate a little bit. I don't have any money. And he sees a guy down the street that he had lent 100 pence to. I'm told that 100 pence in this day would be $17. He had lent that guy $17. And he went to the guy and said, I need that $17 back because I got to go celebrate. I got to go out to eat. And, and the guy said to him, I don't have that $17, but would you give me until Friday? And the guy said, I'm not giving you till Friday. You owe me the $17 right now. But I don't have it. Please be merciful. Please be kind. I've got kids to raise. I've got a family to feed. Please give me a break. And the guy said, I'm not going to give you a break. I'm going to put you in jail and you work it off. It would have taken him three months to work that off. You go and you work it off and then, then I get my $17. And he had no mercy. No mercy at all. Well, there was a guy that had seen the first story happen in front of the king and now had seen the second story happen. And that guy went back to the king and he said, you can't believe what just happened. The guy that you forgave for $56 million would not forgive another person for 17. And he has put him in prison. And the king was furious. How dare you treat another person that way? Now, when Jesus was telling the story, the king is God, obviously, and we are the, the guy that owes God $56 million. In other words, the story was this. God forgave each and every one of us so much all the things he's forgiven us of in the past and the present and the future and all the things that we have said and all the ways we have treated other people that were wrong and all the bad thoughts we have had that, that were against God and attitudes that we had, all that stuff all collected is $56 million. In other words, it is a sum that is greater than we could ever pay back. But God in his grace forgave us and now somebody has wounded you 
Somebody's hurt you. It's not your imagination. It happened. They did something wrong, something damaging in your heart and your life. They said something about you. They did something to you, and you are wounded to the core. It's true. It's real. It's not figurative. But God is saying, compared to what I forgave you, this is $17. But I forgave you $56 million. And I'm saying to you, because of what I've done for you, I'm asking you to forgive someone who does not deserve it. Not on the basis of any change in their life, but on the basis of what I've already done for you. Wayne Mesmer is a guy in Chicago that for the last, I think it's 40 years or more, has been a public announcer for different professional uh, sports teams and sings the national anthem for them uh, uh, oftentimes. And you can pretty well name whatever sports team in Chicago, and he has been in front of them. And one day he was in front of uh, the, the Blackhawks, game he sang the national anthem for the Blackhawks and then he decided he's going to go home he's he didn't want to stay for the rest of the game and so he he went to the parking lot uh, and he was getting his car and all of a sudden two teenagers appeared and they wanted his money and valuables and he said no and one of those teenagers pulled up a, a gun and shot him but they shot him in his throat and it tore up his vocal cords. He survived, he lived. But he was told, uh, when you're never going to speak again, much less sing the national anthem again, you're never going to speak again. Mesmer worked as hard as a human being could work to keep exercising the, his vocal cords and all that and keep working on that. And I, I, a miracle actually happened and he got his voice back. He could speak again and after a certain amount of time, he could sing again. Everybody was stunned, he was stunned, but that was what happened to him. And his life was coming back together. You can imagine what he had been through for months now trying to recuperate. But the one thing that didn't come back for him was spiritually. He felt so far from God. He, he felt so disconnected from God. And he also felt so wounded inside because he hated the man that shot him. He had developed a hatred toward that man. Now what happened in the story is that the guy that didn't have the gun did a plea deal, but the guy who did have the gun, he was convicted and in prison. But God kept saying to Wayne, you, you can't get close to me. I won't let you. Because you have given your heart over to hatred toward that young man. Well, he finally came to accept what was true. And he asked God's forgiveness. And here's what God said to him. Now you gotta go and forgive that, that guy. His name is James in prison. 
Mesmer drove 225 miles to the prison where this young man was, and he asked for permission to be able to talk to him, and he was given that permission, and they talked for two hours. James was stunned that this guy would come. And they talked for two hours about their family and their history and all that. And in the midst of those two hours, Wayne said to James, I forgive you. And he really meant it. And James said that what happened to him is after that two hours and the forgiveness of James, that he walked out of prison. It was like a thousand pounds had gone off of him, of his body. And he said he could not believe the difference emotionally that was inside of him now. And my question to you is, who is it? You know, who is it that you are still so angry with you, you're still so hurt. And nobody is saying that that was nothing. Who is it that you are bitter against? You gotta deal with this because this is separating you from God. So the question is, how do I how do I come to a place of genuine forgiveness of the person who did what they did to me? Well, that's what this Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, actually 31 and 32 are telling us. So listen to what he says in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You're not forgiving them on the basis of them deserving it. You're only forgiving them on the basis of God having forgiven you far more when you didn't deserve it. So here's what we, you got to do. First of all, you've got to let go of the bitterness. You've got to let it go. Listen to me. You cannot ever feel your way into doing good. You can only do your way into feeling good. What do I mean? You and I can't ever in our life let our emotions direct us because our emotions will always direct us in the wrong, in the wrong way. Well, I can't possibly forgive that person because I don't feel it. So if I even said that I forgave them, then I would just be, in a, be a hypocrite. No, if you forgive that person because you choose to, your emotions will catch up with that choice. You got to do your way into feeling, not feel your way into doing. Because our feelings will always lead us in a wrong direction. But our obedience to what God says will lead us in the right direction. So what is, what's the first step? You've got to be willing to let go of the bitterness. Listen to what he says in verse 31 of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking magnify evil speaking, the, the gossip, the, 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 the uh, statements that are being made to others, evil speaking be put away from you. I'm choosing to stop talking about it. I am choosing to stop clamoring, to stop having anger. 
I'm choosing God to forgive. And when I have that emotion come back to me, I will go right back. God, I'm releasing this. I am giving this over. And if I've got to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, because I think forgiveness oftentimes are layers. And every time it comes back, I lay another layer down of forgiveness. God, I am choosing to forgive. God, I distinctly remember that yesterday I already forgave. I choose my way into feeling, not feel my way into choosing. Put it away from you. You have to make a decision. I'm going to let this go. Second of all, you got to become realistic about those that hurt you. What do we usually do when somebody hurts us, when they wound us, when they do something or say something? It's now easy once we get offended by someone to see that person in a totally negative way. Even when they do good things, somehow we can concoct a wrong motive. We begin to see someone we do not like, someone who has hurt us or wounded us. We can interpret everything about them as being negative. But the truth is, they're not all negative. You and I have positives and you and I have negatives. And so does every single other human being. If we like somebody and we see them do something negative, well, we dismiss it because we like that person so much. When we see someone we don't like do something good, we dismiss it because we don't like them. But the truth is, everyone has pluses and minuses. And I'm willing to come to a realistic view of another person I know that person hurt me, but I know that person has a lot of good characteristics. And I choose to see them that way. Here's the third step. Be kind and tenderhearted toward the one who injured you. Find ways to be nice to the person who hurt you. Someone that damaged you, here's what you do. You go to God and say, God, would you bring to my mind something good to do to this person? And I'll do it, not because I want to, but because I should. Be kind and compassionate toward the one who injured you. The name Christ in the Greek language is Christos. The word for kindness in the Greek language is krestos. There's just one letter difference from an I to an E. And the truth is, it's no accident. Those who imitate Christos have krestos as a part of their nature. A person who is truly a follower of Christ is a person who treats other people around them with kindness. That's the point. It's a person who treats others with kindness. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Listen to what he says. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Of course, I love the person who loves me. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? That doesn't show anything about God. Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you'll be called sons. It's just the plural form. And it means children. But it actually means adult children. It means grown-up Christian who acts like their father. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Can I just be honest with you? I wish this passage was not in the Bible. I don't know how many times I have thought, if only this was not there. But it is there. There have been many times in my life it was very frustrating to me that this was there. Because I didn't want to do it. But this is how we act like God. On a Saturday afternoon in May of 2000, the year 2000, 13-year-old Michael Hirschbeck popped out of the Cleveland Indians dugout. He was the ball boy for the Cleveland Indians, and he popped out of the dugout, and he looked for his best friend. Now, Michael's 13, but his best friend was Roberto Alomar. And if you've been around baseball for any time, you'll recognize the name Roberto Alomar because he was one of the greatest second basemen of all time. He was an amazing baseball player. But what was amazing even more is that Michael would have Roberto as his best friend. The reason is because of something that happened four years before. They hugged each other out there on the field as Roberto was getting ready for the game. But it's amazing that that happened because four years before, Roberto was at the plate and he got called out on strikes by the umpire. And when he got called out on strikes, he spit in the face of the umpire. Now you can't do that in baseball. And so he got fined royally and he got punished for, uh, because of what he had done. And he was, was docked so many games he wasn't able to play. When you can't play because of that, you don't get paid. But he was also a national disgrace. This famous guy, this talented guy, and it was the talk of the whole country. He had spit in the face of the umpire. And the umpire's name, was John Hirschbeck. Well, within a few hours, Roberto Alomar reached out to Hirschbeck. He was so ashamed of what he had done. Hirschbeck was so receptive. He asked for forgiveness. Hirschbeck gave him forgiveness. I don't think Hirschbeck ever forgave him for, uh, I don't think Sandy Alomar ever forgave Hirschbeck for calling him out on strikes, but I, but they forgave each other. 
And when Hirschbeck forgave Alamar, he said, would you do something beyond this? Would you do something as a partner with me about something? And Alamar asked him what, and he said, I'm trying to raise money for a particular disease, uh, the curing of that disease that my son just a few years ago died of, my oldest son. And Alamar said, sure, I will. And over the course of time, they became friends. And John Hirschbeck's youngest son, Michael Hirschbeck, became Sandy Alomar's best friend. What I'm saying to you is that what a terrible thing, public thing that happened, because they were willing to forgive, what a beautiful and wonderful thing took place. Who are you angry with? Who are you bitter with? Did you know just a few weeks ago, I heard me say to me, well, if he ever asks for forgiveness, then I would be willing to do that. And then that passage popped back up. And I said, okay, I can't do that. God, I am willing to forgive and walk away. Who are you struggling with? One of the things that has to happen inside is that you have to open yourself up and be willing to let it go. And then you have to get it right with that person. This is part of power living. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would move in our heart, open our heart, and move in our heart to take the step, the next step of forgiveness, to do our way into feeling by obeying you. We ask, Father, that there would be this great release and this openness again to you because we have done what you told us to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.